Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Yeah. Um, we've been on a journey throughout all this year of just saturating ourselves in the Word of God. Um, some of you are probably still in the book of Matthew. That's okay. Uh, but many of us are, are right here in the middle of the Bible. Ecclesiastes, Jeremiah. So if you'd like to pick up on that journey, uh, you haven't been on that journey, if you'd like to pick up, uh, we're, we're going to start this month in Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite books. Um, it's very dark, but it also is very wise and very understanding to humanity and life. Uh, so we're going to pick up in Ecclesiastes all the way through Jeremiah 7. Um, and so I just encourage you to raise the bar in your life and, and to saturate yourself in the Word of God. If you're not a reader, uh, you could use one of the Bible apps. Um, version Bible app, you can listen to the Bible. Um, many of us are not readers any longer, but you can listen to it and saturate your soul in that um, by listening. Just encourage you as you do that, that you ask God to not only inform you, but transform you as you read. And so uh, this month, um, I just want to say, I'm, I'm really excited uh, about this month's sermon series in particular. It's called Fire. And I would like to read, um, and you can open up uh, to, to Jeremiah. This is the book that we're going to be ending the month with. Open up to Jeremiah chapter 20. I'm not preaching today, but I just want to kind of give you a, a taste and a flavor of the month of what's going to be happening here, because you do not, as you're flipping to Jeremiah 20, you do not want to miss this month. You are not going to be able to receive what is done here on Sunday mornings via podcasts. It just isn't going to translate. It's not going to transfer, Okay. So I just want to give you a heads up. Jeremiah chapter 20. And, and we're going we're gonna to read uh, verse 7. And I'm going to funnel in and hone in on a very particular verse. This is Jeremiah the prophet. He's the weeping prophet. And he's a little disgruntled. He feels that he's a, been a little deceived. Uh, by God, no less. Okay, but he opens up his heart and he, he says some things. He says, oh, Lord, you deceived me. And I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. That's so inspirational. Is it not? Put 
But then he says something that just rises out of the page. But if I say, I will not mention him, mention God, or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. This whole month is about the fire that is shut up in our bones. My prayer has been that we as a church, as a body of Christ, whether we are young or whether we are seasoned in any stage or age in our life, that we are ignited on the inside. That you are ignited on the inside. That God starts something in you that you cannot keep it in and within you. That you have to let it out. So this week, uh, it starts, it begins with, with our friend, um, Noah Robinson. He'll be up here just in a moment. I invite you back next week because we're going to lay some, some groundwork to this whole series about fire from the inside. In two weeks from today, October 16th, um, I have invited three individuals Lynn Smallwood, uh, who's part of this body, Brittany McDonald, who's a part of this body, and my wife. All three women who are entrepreneurs, that God called them out to do, to step out in faith and to start their business. Now, you might not be a business person, that's okay, but there are some real clear lessons and insights that they have learned through just following what the Lord has called them to do. On October 23rd, a friend of mine, uh, Deontay Holyfield, let's pray that this happens. Um, he's a friend of mine that I met actually in Allen Oakwood Correctional Institution. Was released in April and uh, is on his way uh, to just doing some amazing things in the kingdom of God. Uh, he's working at uh, working in Lima. He's also getting uh, w going to school at Rhodes State, and he's eventually going to be going to Wheaton College in Chicago. And God has really set him ablaze. And his story, you don't want to miss it. You do not want to miss that Sunday. You don't want to miss any of these Sundays. Like I said, what's going to be happening in, in this portion of, of the service will not translate over the podcast. It'll be a nice listen, but it will not translate. So I would suggest that you do whatever you possibly can do to be here, um, even if you have to drag your lifeless body in, because it will inspire you, it will ignite you, and I'm praying that God gets a hold of you wherever you are going to be good. So I'd like to invite my friend, Noah. Uh, come on up, brother. Um, you may not know him, but unfortunately, I know him very well. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Noah, Noah was our, our intern, our summer intern uh, last year, right? Last year. And we were so grateful to get rid of him. Ah, so grateful. <laughs> just, just kidding. Uh, 
So uh, Noah is, is, is currently uh, in, in school, uh, working on his Master's of Divinity, is that right? Master's of Divinity, and he just was hired uh, to be a barista, and uh, he's been looking for a job uh, in a church, and uh, we firmly um, believe that we rise up leaders, we raise them up, we love them, we encourage them, and uh, we're, we're so glad that you're back bring the message, and I know that you've grown uh, since, like, not height-wise, um, but here, you still got some time here, uh, you haven't grown here or this way, but no, you've grown, you've grown in your maturity, and, and just in the way you bring things to, to people, and so I want to pray over you, I want to pray over us, and then we're just going to listen to what God has got to say, Father, I thank you for my friend. I ask you to breathe deep into him. May, may his thoughts be focused. And may his words be comprehensive, but may he allow you to speak through him. And for us, you've got something that you want to teach us, that you want our lives to, uh, to hold on to and learn from. So may we not only be listeners here, but actively engaging with your spirit and the word that is presented today. I love you, Jesus. Take the wheel, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs> right.
which I think, and then Jeremiah throughout the story of the book, as he as he gives prophecies and oracles, um, is constantly like picked upon by the world. So if anybody's got a complaint against God, it's Jeremiah. But like what Stephen said, what I find so fascinating is, is that verse in verse 9. But it's what I find troubling, too. That if I not mention his word or speak any more in his name, the word is, is in my heart like a fire, and the fire will shut up in my bones. Well, basically, Jeremiah is saying is if I don't speak God's word, I'm going to from the inside, and I, basically my insides are going to be incinerated because of how how much zeal and how caught up I am within, within the purposes of God. And, and I wonder what that says to the readers that are reading Jeremiah probably 20 or 30 years after the fact that Jeremiah was actually written. Because this book was continually being right after uh, what would be the climax of this book and the destruction of the temple and then the uh, invasion of Babylon. It's, that was an interesting point to start with. Um, but I'll get to what I, I want to talk about today, which is kind of in this kind of insane. So Stephen got in contact with me. It was right after
that's more of looking back at my baptism, not necessarily in the moment. But it was one of the most exciting moments of my life. And if you were to look at me in that moment, you would probably say, that kid is on fire for God because I was enthusiastic, I was excited about what I was doing, and I was eager to do it. And I wonder if that's what really on fire for God means. As I look back on it and I reflect on, on that time in my life. There's a phenomenon that happens at these teen camps. I like to call it the mountaintop phenomenon. Where you are kind of caught up in the experience of the whole weekend because you're around all your friends uh, for the weekend. And, you know, the, the worship service is a little bit different, maybe a little bit more modern than your home church worship service. And so you kind of, and they get you kind of with the lights a little bit too. I feel like it, it, there's a cynic inside me that says, okay, this is somewhat manipulation. But that's more of a cynical approach to it, I'll admit. I think there's a lot of genuineness there. But it, it, it all kind of like builds up. And you can normally tell the altar night, like the night where they're going to get kids down to the altar. It usually happens like a second. And so I, I call those mountaintop experiences because I, I believe that they're genuine, important experiences within the life of a Christian. But oh my, are they few and far between. And so what, it, what has happened, I think to a certain degree, is we have been conditioned, and this doesn't just happen in the life of like young teens, this happens in the life of adults as well. Whether you can go back to your conversion experience, what we would consider the day you got saved, or any other like super emotional kind of high fever pitch experience that you have that we look back and always are looking to recreate that experience in some way to call back to those experiences and to say oh if I could only be as I was in that moment all the time and that's and that is what we would probably associate being on fire for God with. That's, that's what we would put that term at. These ecstatic, super excitable experiences where the emotion runs so high than any other point in our daily lives. And some people are very emotional and have big emotional swings and are super energetic about what they do. And that's great. The church needs those people. And we would say they're on fire for God. But sometimes I wonder, what about the person who just kind of sits even keel, doesn't have a huge emotional experience, but is steady, and just kind of chugs along? I remember there was a time in my life that I was, I was starting to get concerned because I didn't necessarily have like this crisis of faith moment. Because I was raised in the church, I didn't really have this crisis. Like, Jesus was always kind of there. And so I didn't have this, like, super great, like, death-to-life conversion story that 
would necessarily associate me with this fire inside of me for God. I remember being very concerned about that when I was young. And so as I, as I came into the sermon, what, what struck me, and the first thing I thought of, is, is the amount of references that fire has the presence of God. If you look through Scripture and, and pay attention really closely, you will be surprised at how many times the presence or the Spirit of God is associated with the concept of fire. And so, while I appreciate our impetus to call back to those kind of emotional moments in our lives, and there is a scriptural kind of warrant to remember things, there's also a scriptural warrant to move on, to see what God is doing new. And so I started, my, my mind first went to this, this fiery presence of God within the scripture. And this is not an exhaustive, I'll give you a few examples, it's not an exhaustive list, if you want the whole kind of shebang, you could go through the scriptures yourself and find many, many more. And you could find many, many more things that the presence of God is associated with, but our topic is fire, so the thought might as well stay on top. And so there's, there's a bunch of different places. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, God appears to Moses in the fiery bush. And again in Exodus 13, verses 21 through 22, God guides the Israelites in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In 1 Kings 18.38, the fire of the Lord fell upon Elijah's sacrifice and completely consumed everything. The bulls, the stones, the wood, everything was gone. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, this is one of my favorite passages. An angel, Elijah, uh, sorry, not Elijah, Isaiah, has this very real encounter with God in a vision, and it's God calling Isaiah into the prophet's role. And in, in that scene, you see Isaiah kind of lament the fact that he's not worthy to sit within the presence of God due to his uncleanliness and the uncleanliness of the people of Israel at the time. Something very interesting happens in that in that story, in that vision. An angel of the Lord goes down to the holy altar, the altar that would have been consecrated in the temple for the sacrifices of God, a holy place, something set apart, takes a pole off that, which by extension would have been holy itself, and touches it to the lips of Isaiah. Which to me recognizes a whole paradigm shift within the scriptures that's happening. Whereas before, something that was unclean or unholy, if it touched a holy thing, that holy thing would now be unclean and unholy. This is part of the impetus of why people were so concerned about Jesus touching the unclean in the New Testament. They were afraid he would become unclean, then we'd have, he'd have to like, purify himself according to the laws and customs of Moses. But something very different happens in that Isaiah story and something very different happens in the New Testament. Instead of the coal becoming unclean and unholy, 
the coal actually purifies Isaiah. And God says, see that you are now pure and your sin is atoned for. Which to me represents a whole paradigm shift and, and the same thing happening in Jesus' life as well. Where everyone he touches now becomes purified and clean and even sometimes healed of their physical ailments. And in Acts, we'll move to the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, probably the most obvious representation of fire with the Spirit is when the disciples and the people are upstairs in the upper room and tongues of fire descend upon them and then they receive the Holy Spirit and go out and preach on the day of Pentecost. And so there's this clear image that the Bible presents between fire and God's And that moves, that kind of moves me to our passage of scripture today, which would be 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. And then we'll move to verses 13 through 16 in a moment. But I kind of want to get something clear with Peter in his context. So Peter, in the first few verses, addresses his letter to the churches in kind of the Asia Minor area, which is encompassed in modern-day Turkey, um, kind of maybe some of Greece a little bit, too. And he addresses it to specific churches, the churches of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, churches in Asia, and Bithynia. And in, the, in these places and during this time, this is very close to the end of Peter's life. He might be in jail during this but he is probably dictating to someone who is writing his letter and then will send his letter out to the churches. But this is a time in the Roman Empire history where, and in Christian history, where Christians are beginning to be systematically and almost empire-wide uh, abused in and basically treated as dirt within the Roman Empire. It's the beginnings of that. Of that sort of process that will last for about 200 years. So what's really interesting is that in, in that midst and in that context, the, the first section of Peter's letter is Praise to God for a living hope in a place where hope doesn't seem so present at its current moment. And in his letter, in verses 6 through 7, Peter's going to draw on a comparison that we have been kind of exploring in the scripture so far. He's going to equate presence of fire with the presence of the spirit maybe not in a kind of in your face way but it's a little more implicit and this is what he says in chapter 6 in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials 
these have come to you so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which is perished, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so Peter makes a very direct correlation between refining fire and faith. Now to kind of explain it a little bit, because we don't really use every day in our lives the terms of refining metals. When one refines gold, it is superheated to a point that it melts. And then what happens is all the impurities within the gold, everything that's not gold, will rise to the surface. And then it is scraped clean by the, by the smelter, the person who's melting the gold. And then all that remains is pure gold. And what Peter is saying to the believers, to the believers of Asia Minor, is that these trials, these sufferings that you face, are not in vain. And they are not outside the presence of God. In fact, they are a refining fire that God is using so that your faith will be as pure as gold. And that that pure as gold faith will result in praise, glory, and honor to Jesus Christ. But he even takes it a step further. He says, that faith is even more precious than gold because gold will one day perish. Gold doesn't last forever. But your faith does. And so Peter kind of identifies this refining fire within the presence of God. That when the Spirit of God is present, all that is not who we are meant to be as a people or as individuals kind of rises to the surface. And the God in a gracious, loving way kind of scrapes all that aside and purifies us. And so Peter continues in his letter about the salvation that this entails to his believers. And then he comes to chapter, and then he comes to verse 13. And these verses will kind of set up what Peter's saying for the rest of the book. Everything else that follows in Peter's letter after these verses is in light of what these passages are saying. And in verse 13 he says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires when you have lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So if we're following the progression, 
Peter has gone from a refining fire to a holy fire. And that this refining fire actually brings out a holy fire within the believer. And so in my mind, what I'm going to contend is that to be on fire for God is to engage the gracious and holy presence of God, becoming holy as God is holy. That is what being on fire for God is. And that can take on many different contexts and many different lives and can be lived out in many different ways and different people. But if you are on fire for God, you are first and foremost responding and engaging with a gracious and holy presence that is changing you, that is forming you into the person with a purpose that you were born in. And that was always meant to be. Continually grow in grace and love. And so Peter's going to kind of explain this later in his letter as well. In chapter 4. And in verses 1 through 3 he says, or 1 through 2, Therefore, since Christ in his body suffered, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, do not live the rest of your earthly lives for human evil desires, but rather for the will of God. But Peter doesn't leave his audience with just that statement. He explains it. And I think it's a while not an exhaustive list, I think it's a really good list for us to look at. So, 
7 through 11, he says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks with the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. So in all things that God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So there's a few things to note there as we kind of close up today about being on fire for God and being so encapsulated in God's holiness. I think the first thing to note is that this is not something you just try harder at. Or just kind of attempt on your own. But because God spoke and moved first, you are now enabled to move toward God. It is a, a grace that God gives, and God gives out of his very self, that you are able to engage in this kind of behavior. For without the grace of God, you would have no access to it. In fact, the grace of God is what has gathered us here today as a community of believers, as a community in Wapakoneta. The grace of God breathes us in so that we may be breathed out at the end of this service to go and live the gospel in the community. And so in the same way, God, in his gracious action, breathes us into his very presence so that we may respond and submit and be filled so that then we can serve each other in the same way. And in the same way as Jeremiah, that fire that is in our bones can't be held in. That holy fire, that loving fire within us is lived out. And so be on fire. holiness is to be further formed in the love and grace of God. And even one of the more beautiful images that I often think of is that even in, in the coming end, in the coming new creation when Christ returns, there's thought among theologians that even then, the work will not be done. That because God is infinite, and infinite in his love, grace, mercy, and holiness, that even after the new creation, we will be eternally becoming who we are. We will be eternally growing in grace, love, and truth, and expanding our minds in all these things. 
You don't have to believe that if you really want to. I just believe that. Fire is a life-giving thing. But it is also I thank you for these people, Lord, these people who have a special bond to me in my heart, who have invested in me, who have taught me things that I didn't even know I needed. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless them. And, Lord, if anything came out of my mouth unclear or jumbled or maybe a bit confusing, Lord, that's okay. But I pray that your spirit would be with them so that they can continue to think on these things and continue to explore and continue to ask questions. For Lord, graciously move toward them so that they may respond to you. Lord, may we be a people in which your fire cannot be shut up in our bones cannot be held within us, but must be pushed out and moved out into the community in which we live, so that your fire would consume all of us in holy life. We thank you, Lord. This afternoon, the clock has turned. Not that you didn't pre you preach too long. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I, I ended every, I, I end right about on the two every single time. You have great aim. Thank you. Folks, we love you. And uh, my prayer over you this month will be that you become consumed by the, the fire of God. Uh, I was thinking, when you set yourself on fire, people watch. I want people to watch you run a flame because of the fire within you. Hey, may you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And will you please, please, please love your neighbor as yourself. I'll see you soon. We love you. Have a great, great Sunday. Bengals already won on Thursday, so go Bengals. Thank you for listening to the Wapaknas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.